This, this is, is Yawa Radio. Radio. Oh, welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to show 29 of Jordan Space. I first met this week's guest on LinkedIn during July 2020, just eight months after Jordan's death. Andrew Payne had then recently delivered a TEDx talk titled Domestic Abuse, Not a Gender Issue, which now has almost 130,000 views on YouTube. And now, during Domestic Violence Awareness Month, we're going to be speaking with Andrew about his story very shortly. But before then, I'd like to welcome our show's regular co-hosts, Danny and Paul. And Paul, in today's show, we're going to be discussing domestic abuse. And it's been interesting to see that the topic of people affected by domestic abuse is one of the winners in the government's recently announced National Suicide Prevention Strategy. That's right, Stephen. I know why you're using the term winners, because we've referred to the national strategy as being a, a competition with winners and losers, which is not really the way that the process should go. But yeah, domestic abuse, domestic violence is in there as one of the priority groups now. So it's it's won the competition in that sense. It's come out of work that Tim Woodhouse and others have been doing in Kent Medway, looking, studying as we need to study the fact all the factors involved in suicides in each area and in their area they found that one in three suicide deaths could be traced back to domestic abuse or domestic violence and that's been put forward that's got into the national strategy and uh, tim has also been awarded a churchill fellowship to to study that uh, around the world um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that develops and, and progresses including how the dynamics work with the process, because this is a local area identifying this issue. And of course, the way the national process works is a bit of a hammer approach that uh, sees everything as a nail. And so it's going to tell everybody that they should be looking at domestic abuse around the country. Well, it doesn't mean that it's a problem in every single area, um, but it's going to get more attention now, at least to find that out. And it's interesting you're saying that one in three um, deaths um, can be attributed to domestic abuse, deaths by suicide. Uh, do, do we know if those are actually from coroner's reports or is that from real-time surveillance? Uh, well, I think they've done a really comprehensive job from the sound of it. They've looked at all the available data. They've looked at, uh, at the coroner's reports. They've looked at all the evidence working with domestic abuse agencies, etc., you know, studying other other data, there is some data available from the national studies, but it's been mainly looking at the local 
information that they've got and they can verify that. Of course, you know, when I put my research hat on here, you've got to have um, got to be careful with this because if you can trace one in three, it doesn't mean the figure is one in three. It means you can just trace one in three. I mean, it could be half or it could be two thirds, but there's evidence that uh, in at least one in three cases, uh, suicides can be traced back to domestic abuse. And obviously a robust bit of research, as you say. Uh, Danny, many people might understandably jump to the conclusion that domestic abuse only involves the abuser and their immediate victim. But those witnessing domestic abuse within the family can also be impacted, of course. Yeah, as you say, domestic abuse can have a devastating effect on not just the victim, but on those sort of indirectly affected by it as well. And quite often this is children who might be related to the perpetrator or the victim who have to witness, hear or experience the effects of the abuse. Actually, as part of the investment covered in the Tackling Domestic Abuse Plan, the Home Office has increased funding for the children affected by domestic abuse fund and has allocated up to £10.3 million um, across three years, that's 2022 to 2025. Um, to eight organisations across England and Wales that provide specialist support within the community to children who have been impacted by domestic abuse. And also on another sort of side note, on the Jordan Legacy website, um, on our help and resources page, we have a page um, with information and support specifically for those affected by domestic abuse, and that includes links to organisations that can help. That's really important. Thank you for signposting that as well, Danny. And 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 good to see that there is some recognition of the, the wider impact of, of domestic abuse here as well. Paul, our action research project mapped out what a zero suicide society looks like, and we're planning to publish future reports on progress towards the vision. How do you think we're doing on an issue like domestic abuse? I think it's a case, a classic case of, you know, good and can do a lot better. And the first step, of course, is the first step to solving any problem is accepting there's a problem to be solved and, and having the data, obviously. So domestic abuse, like suicide, has been a topic that hasn't been talked about openly, that's been swept under the carpet. We hear all the stories about, well, I've got friends actually in the police who, who you know, say that they used to just refer to a domestic and don't go there, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, so... It not only not only wasn't talked about; it was you know people avoided it, went out of their way. Um, so I think it's good that more's been talked about. There's more services available. There's more people getting support in in courts, etc., to bring cases and to bring prosecutions and to to get out of those those horrible situations that people get stuck in. But yeah, a long long way to go. Not just in terms of looking at that link with suicide, looking at all the practical actions that can be taken and and taken earlier. But just one thing that I want to raise awareness of, which a lot of people don't think about, and because my wife works in the courts, supporting witnesses to things like domestic abuse and and child abuse, uh, which is pretty horrific stuff to to sit and hear that in courts. But one of the things that regularly happens is that that the criminal justice system is just, our criminal justice system is just chaotic, disorganised, it's a mess. And these people are incredibly you know, in, in incredibly sensitive situations, incredibly vulnerable situations, and they're messed about regularly. They're asked to come to a court appearance to give evidence, and then the date's cancelled and changed, and then it's another date. They've taken time off work. They're having to travel. And, yeah, just God, if they can just get the basic organisational side sorted out, we'd be in a much stronger place. And that probably is the case across many aspects of our systems, which is why we emphasise in our report that we need systems change. 
Absolutely. I, I was going to say that those exact words, you know, so, so often we think it's just about providing support, but clearly the whole system and process around these issues needs to be far more robust. Well, many thanks both. Let's take a break now. Uh, when we come back, we'll meet our guest, Andrew Payne, who will share his experience of domestic abuse at the hands of his former wife. Before then, let's listen to a song chosen by Andrew. It's Maroon 5 and This Love. This This is is Yawa Yawa Radio. Welcome back. Our guest this week, Andrew Payne, is a motivational speaker and podcaster whose talks and shows focus on raising awareness about men's mental health and the need to discuss this topic in a fair and balanced way. Andrew, welcome to the show. It's great to have you you. here. I'd like to start by asking you, do you think men's mental health is sometimes not discussed in a fair and balanced way? Uh, I have some concerns over the way over the way gender is discussed we know for example that a third of victims of domestic abuse are in fact men yet still the message banded around on the media is the overwhelming majority of victims of domestic abuse are women this just simply isn't true the, the greater proportion for sure we mustn't lose sight of that so i think for me some of the narrative in the media is not balanced. If you think of the recent scandal with Lawrence Fox and Dan Wooten, there's rightly been an uproar over what Lawrence Fox said about the journalist Ava Santana. It was a disgrace, misogynistic comments. We've got no place for that in today's society. What nobody talks about are actually the terrible things that Ava Santana says about men, and that doesn't get picked up on. And that's my my view where I think we need more balance. We need to understand that uh, men, women are are not toxic due to their gender. I became very aware of, of you back in 2020 as a result of a TEDx talk titled Domestic Abuse, Not a Gender Issue that you delivered at that time. I think it'd be really interesting for our listeners to understand a little bit about your story that you shared, of course, during that particular talk. One of the most common questions I get asked, and I love this question in general, is how does an intelligent person fall into an abusive relationship? And I love that question. I hate that question. I love the question because it uh, well, assumes clearly if you're asking that of me, that I'm an intelligent person, which is great. I'll take all the compliments I can get. But it also assumes that therefore somehow, whether you're a woman or whether you're a guy, if you fall into an abusive relationship, you're somehow naive or stupid. There's loads of people that, who have incredible jobs, uh, lists of qualifications as long as your arm that fall into abusive relationships. And I think for me, it's not how do people fall into abusive relationships is a better question uh, because people come in all shapes and sizes, victims of domestic abuse in all levels of uh, IQ uh, and jobs and class in society. My way in was fairly typical in that I sort of slowly fell into it. I was always someone that liked helping other people when I first met my now ex-wife, there was no hint that, that this was likely to be an abusive relationship. But about a month in, she had sort of various tales, and I think they are tales now, of this awful, horrendous, horrific childhood that she had. I think what it, what it was was to sort of excuse the behaviour that was about to unfold, because not long after she opened up to me about all this stuff she'd been through, then it started to be these bizarre outbursts, physical violence. But of course, now I'm thinking, well, she's had such a hard time. I'm going to support her. I help her through it. I'll love her through it. She'll change. And quite quickly, you just get completely drawn into it. So it's not like one day it was all fine. And the next minute she just turned on me. The violence grew bit by bit in terms of its intensity, I would say, and frequency. You don't even really know it's happening 
And then when you do start to question what's going on, by that point, you start thinking that's entirely your fault. If I wasn't such an idiot, I wouldn't be provoking my now ex. Because, of course, abusive people are very good with gaslighting and making you think it's your fault and, and, and creating stories and narrative where you start to doubt your own judgment. And yeah, I remember very clearly listening to your talk. I think, if I'm right, you were putting up some shelves and things went very quickly wrong from that moment. I was putting up some shelves. I'm useless at DIY. It inevitably went wrong. My ex-wife kicked off and, and in the end stabbed me in the arm with a pencil several times and was screaming and shouting. And at the time where we lived, we lived quite rurally abroad. People would just walk in, in and out of each other's houses. So our neighbour, an elderly woman, had, she was English as well, had heard the commotion and, and raced into our house to see my wife stabbing me in the arm. And she came back to me later that day and said, you know, this is domestic abuse. You do realise what's going on here. And I think often in Britain, we're, we're quite reserved. We think, well, I won't get involved. It's probably nothing. It's none of my business. And I think we need to get better at saying, actually, I'm going to have a word. And I'm so grateful to that neighbour because if it wasn't for her, I might still be back in that situation. And today I, I'm blissfully remarried. I have a great life. But... Yeah, that that was the moment when that neighbour said that. I'd never considered that I was a victim of domestic abuse. I'd always thought every problem in our relationship was mine. I'd even been to counselling for years in order to become a better person so I didn't provoke my wife. I wasn't going to counselling like in terms of making our marriage better. I, I, I was so convinced that I was such a useless idiot. If I go to counselling, perhaps I'll find myself. Um, but when that neighbour gently queried me that was the start of the end of that relationship it took a year and a half till I then left and what courage she had and I think as members of the public as friends family friends we have to have that courage with the people around us to check to truly check in on them and know that in doing so we might be taking a risk we might offend but actually the point is checking in on make seeing if they're okay you know people listening to the story might say well why didn't you just leave and I know you've talked about obviously there are lots of reasons why it's not necessarily that easy to leave in that situation in particular as a bloke you could literally just walk out the door I think if you're looking back if you always think it's your fault you're not going to leave because if it kicks off then you're like well I need to take this back to counselling because I'm trying to become this better person I obviously screwed up here if you always think it's your fault then why are you going to leave? You're just hoping the other person doesn't leave because you're such you're such an idiot. So that's the one thing. I think the kids is a big thing for mums and dads. I think traditionally in the family courts, men have feared the family courts with good reason. I think the family courts are a lottery. I think generally mums and dads, decent mum and dads get a bad deal in the family courts. But even if you're not thinking that far ahead, if, if you're leaving an abusive relationship with your kids, what if the kids like their school? What what you can do with the pets? What if the kids like the dads? Uh, what about your friendship circles and the upheaval that that decision is going to create? I, I think without kids, I, I would possibly have left earlier, I suppose. I think in culture today, there's a great emphasis on resilience and persevering to the end. We love a story of people that overcame the odds that actually we should also be teaching our kids as well as sticking at things, that there is a quality to being able to walk away from things that harm us, that, that are broken and that are beyond repair. If I was an after-dinner speaker, my story was I had to go at something and I gave up and did something else, I wouldn't get many bookings. And so I do think that that sense of perseverance, I felt as a good man, 
I was a gritter, not a quitter. A good father would stick at this and make it better. And that certainly was something that, that kept me in there. And Andrew, the you know, you talked about some of the practical issues there around school, you know, kids' schooling and, and things like that. And it's often the case that when I've heard women who've been experiencing domestic abuse that they talk about those practical things that you know financial dependency and the housing situation and, and they feel they can't actually just walk away from that relationship does that also work for for men as well in terms of those practical things or is it different for men i think it can be the same and it, and it can be different i think uh, men also face those financial concerns even if you're able to part somewhat amicably or you think you, if you as long as you very well behaved, you can limit the damage. You've still suddenly, like with any divorce, you've got financial challenges from, from that relationship breakdown. I think for women, I think the one difference between women and men, as far as I'm aware and looking at the stats, is that the most dangerous point for a woman when she leaves an abusive relationship in terms of her safety, if we look at domestic homicide, is at the point that she leaves or just after, whereas the most dangerous point for men uh, in terms of domestic homicide is within the relationship. Once they've left, it's very unlikely that that man is is, is going to be the victim of domestic homicide. And just so the, in terms of the figures, as far as I'm aware today, the figures are roughly between 70 to 80 women are killed every year in the UK due to domestic homicide. For men, it's tends to vary between 12 and 18 but still you're talking far more women than men when yeah. it comes to domestic yeah. homicide <clears throat> and on the emotional side I, I think it's interesting what you were saying about you know people thinking well surely you just walk away and you must be weak and stupid and all that kind of thing it, it seems to be a lot of parallels from cases that we hear about people in scam relationships as well you know and, and somebody's kind of suckered them in and they're in a relationship and then before they know it, their bank account's been emptied and so on. And people often say to them, well, how on earth, you know, you're an intelligent person. How on earth could you fall for that? But presumably the deep uh, emotional aspects of that and the kind of different perspectives that you get draws yeah. many, many, as you say, intelligent people into those kind of situations. Yeah. And I think my relationship, I wouldn't view it as a, as a scam relationship in those terms, but we have to remember that abusive people and scammers, they are very clever. They, they, they do know what they're doing in terms of getting to know people, playing on their weaknesses. And when you think you've fallen in love with someone, you're going to trust them more quickly with less scrutiny and, and you're going to be off guard. I've heard people say that in some situations where there's domestic abuse, the person who is the perpetrator knows exactly what they're doing and they're very much in that controlling situation but in some cases they themselves are not even conscious of what they're doing i've gone over and over on this question because and there were those sort of coming out of it that i, that I know would view my ex-wife as, as a spoiled brat and there would be those saying actually she has mental health challenges i personally think that it's a mental health issue and that she perhaps doesn't have control i think what i experienced there may have been aspects that were sort of deliberately manipulative but when I've sort of sought answers, as one does, there are some personality disorders, which I think describe her so just so scarily, so, so on the money. So for me, I, was it deliberate? It's something that I will never completely know for sure. But I feel like her behavior towards me was just who she is. And, and you see, I, I mentioned my friend who we all thought her fiance was amazing. But 
most most friends, family around can see that our marriage was troubled and that my ex-wife was greatly troubled. You know, that that was fairly obvious for all to see, which again leads me to think maybe it was just just her and the challenges that she carries. It's really interesting. We're talking about mental health issues here, and we're going to talk more about the work that you're doing now shortly. But I'm kind of thinking about your own mental well-being. Clearly, there was a long period of time where you felt you, you know, in your own words, you were the idiot. You were the one that wasn't getting it right. That must have had quite an impact on your own mental well-being. How are you now since everything has come out and you've now moved forward and new marriage? Yeah, I mean, I am probably at heart uh, a realistic optimist and I think that's helped me it's helped me greatly that I have family around it's helped me greatly that my family believed me when, when I was talking to them that they could see it once I could see what was going on it was about trying to get out as peacefully as I could for the sake of my daughters and trying to rebuild and regrow as as quickly as I could. So I did have some counselling and that was helpful. At first I felt very angry against women, but then when I've got two sisters that I adore, an amazing mum, and I met some amazing women, and I now have an amazing wife. It, like it, at first, it was like you know, if I ever get married again, there's going to be prenups. I'm going to have this in place and that in place. And of course, within about a month of that, it's just a nonsense, isn't it? And I, I've realised that you know I was unlucky, but most people, I believe, this most men and women are amazing and want to do the best thing if they can. Just want to move uh, to to talk about men's mental health in in general, and we'll talk about the work you're doing very shortly. But do you feel there are specific areas and issues around men's mental health that they experience um, that you've become aware of? Well, if I share a personal experience earlier this year, but it's a, it's a man's experience. But I mean, I'm 49. I'm physically fit. I play football. I do lots of weights, running, all that kind of stuff. And earlier this year, I completely lost my libido 100 um, percent and everything associated in that department. And I was like, is this the end? Has my life finished? And, and, and I was like overthinking what was going on, getting panicky, uh, feeling very depressed, very all of a sudden is feeling. And do I go to counselling? But I don't know what I talk about with the counsellor. And so I went to the GP and it was found that I had chronically low levels of vitamin D. Obviously, we know that vitamin D is one of the main uh, drivers for creating testosterone. And so I was put on the highest dosage vitamin D tablets that you can have. Six weeks later, everything's tickety-boo. I'm feeling great. I'm now on vitamin D tablets. Part of the reason we have our uh, Ruby, the pup, is to get me outside more. We've ditched the second car. You know, we, we really have taken this seriously. We've got an allotment. Well, I don't know if that's a step too far. But the point is, testosterone, I think, is misunderstood. I think we we think it's the root of male aggression. And, and actually, testosterone is so important. I mean, it affects our well-being. It affects depression. People with uh, men with lower levels of testosterone are more prone to have heart attack, more prone to have prostate cancer. The research is there. And so I think for men, we need to have broader conversation. And I also think just trying to shrug off some of these old gendered stereotypes that men don't talk. I think that's nonsense. Men do talk. You know, is it two thirds of, of men who, who died by suicide did try and get help in some way? We know that we should talk. I would also say if you're feeling low, things aren't working for you. Even if your libido is fine, but you're feeling down, go to the doctor. Just get your bloods checked because you never know. I mean, it could be the simplest of explanations. I, I think we, as a, as a species males, we're, we're not particularly good at going to the doctors when somebody points out that we should go to the doctors. 
That's a great point to take us to, to a break uh, there, Andrew. And look, before we go, we've been playing uh, some tracks that you've chosen for us today. Now, we're going to play Umbrella by Rihanna. A little bit of a story behind why you've chosen this song. Yeah, do you know, me and my, I'm blissfully remarried now. I'm so lucky to have my wife and, you know, it's great. And we walked out of the church to this. It was actually the Wanted did a, a rockier version, but we like the original version as well. And for me, this is just all about what a, a happy relationship is about it's a very special song to us even though rihanna was the writer of the song <laughs> fantastic well look let's uh, listen to umbrella by rihanna and we'll be right back after this you're listening to yow radio we are your truly well-being and happiness radio station with a focus on personal development and well-being and every month we record an episode of conversations on the porch where i'm joined by a panel from around the world where we discuss various topics such as motivation and inspiration are they the same thing and if not how do they differ and we've also recently done one all about change so maybe you would like to join us as a panel member on conversations on the porch if you would that easy drop us an email if you'd like to get in touch to studio at yowaradio.co.uk let us know why you'd like to join us as a panel member on conversations on the porch and uh, then we will send you the links and you can join us when we record the latest episode of conversations on the porch we look forward to hearing from you the email address again is studio at yowaradio.co.uk Welcome back. We're talking with Andrew Payne, who is a motivational speaker and podcaster, who before the break was sharing with us his experience of being physically and mentally abused by his former wife. Andrew, we're going to move on now to talk about the work that you're doing. As you mentioned, you're in a much more positive place now with a great relationship and probably as a result of some of your experiences has led you to work, particularly with schools and young people, you mentioned, I think you've got five children. Uh, am I right in thinking three boys under 11? Three boys under 11. They run us ragged. They really do. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, let's talk a little bit about the, the work you're doing in schools at the moment. I understand that October has been a particularly busy month for you as well. Yeah. So my, my work in schools, actually. So although um, my work with businesses, councils, NHS trusts is more men's mental health, uh, my work in schools tends to be more domestic violence related. Obviously, some of the questions I've sort of covered uh, in what we've talked about so far, kind of how do people fall into abusive relationship? What is life like? What is gaslighting? Because, of course, it's a very it's the most searched dictionary term of 2022. But most people, therefore, use it and they don't really know what it means. They'll be like, you gaslight me. You gaslight me. It's like, well, just because someone's lying to you doesn't mean they're gaslighting you. you know, gaslighting is what describes it as sort of a long term campaign so that you doubt your own judgment and intuition. So if you thought your uh, partner was being ridiculously flirtatious and it's really painful to you, they would swing it back. Oh, you're so pedantic. You're so oversensitive. So you come away from that conversation thinking you had a legitimate concern and now you just feel rubbish about yourself and you need to go and do some work on your pedantic nature. And, that, and that's, you know, that's at the heart of gaslighting. So I sort of talk about gaslighting in schools, domestic abuse, and really as well, as well as kind of trying to help young people to think about what their boundaries might look like. And that, of course, boundaries, it's its like we all know we need boundaries, but how do you even get started in creating boundaries? So we, we look, we sort of think through in a relationship, what does your stop and enough look like? What do your yes, no and depends look like? And actually, even if you're dating the coolest kid on the planet, 
the most handsome specimen you could ever imagine, if they're not willing to work with your boundaries, then actually you need to walk away with your head held high. Don't put it on social media. And so I give uh, kids a lot of different scenarios so that they can start looking out for the signs. I give them some of the ridiculous scenarios. Like when I, my ex-wife, I broke her favorite wine glass. It's one of the things where I was washing it up. It's a very delicate thing. The stem came off in my hand and I'm thinking, I'm just panicked. I'm like, oh no, like what have I done? But she wasn't in the house at the time. So I remember squirreling it away into the neighbor's recycling bin, breathing a sigh of relief when the recycling truck came the next day. And then when she's like, have you seen my wine glass anywhere? I'm like, no. And I'm trying not to go bright red because then if I do, the game will be up and then goodness knows what will happen. So I try and share lots of scenarios to help people see what the signs might be and of abusive relationship so that you know we know that one in four women will experience it one in six men statistically so in every hall of two or three hundred kids there's gonna be a lot of them that are going to experience this what's the kind of response you're getting back from the the youngsters really good really really good i don't do anything under sixth form level uh, and i wonder whether that's partly my topic's quite edgy i suppose um but i i do a lot of sixth form bookings now this thursday friday I'm delivering the same talk on domestic violence 14 times in two days to over 3,000 students. People take it quite seriously. Um, and I'm, I am really like to bring humour in where I can. So I'm able to laugh at myself. I think that's quite useful um, to be able to do that. Um, and really, like I say, trying to give them signs, tips and encourage as well a sense of kind of, well, what does psychological safety look like within a school? Because actually, however tough you are, you're not immune from falling into an abusive relationship. And if your school is one of gossip and bullying, there's no way you're going to ask for help. But if your school is one where actually gossip doesn't, it's not, you know, and there's not a lot of social media nonsense that goes on, people are more respectful, then you might benefit from that. You might need that one day yourself. So we talk a little bit about psychological safety as well, without going too technical about it. I heard what you said, Andrew, about you do you tend to you don't go down below sixth form level, which is probably a very smart move. Uh, but as well as the stereotype of men don't talk, there's often a stereotype that teenagers don't talk. And obviously you're dealing with the, the sort of higher end of the teenager spectrum. But again, is that a myth from your experience? I, I tend to be led by the teachers, but most talks I want them to participate. So, yeah, I haven't found that teenagers don't talk. I found there is an interest in it. And, of course, they're all aware of Andrew Tate. They'll all have an opinion on Andrew Tate. They're all aware of what's happened between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and they'll all have an opinion on it. And so these are quite useful examples to work off to begin with mm -hmm. to get their interest. We talk a lot about fatherhood. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that, that are facing dads today, and how do we sort of better support them, do you think? I think there's lots of angles to fatherhood. So there's a whole movement that's looking to equalise paternity leave, not just to support dads, but also to close the gender pay gap, which, which some people would refer to as a parenting pay gap. And, and I think that that is, that is a really positive thing for mums and dads. We've seen John Lewis equalise paternity leave. I think Abel and Cole have, Channel 4 have. It's trickier for smaller employers, but certainly that movement to improve men's paternity leave, at the moment, statutory paternity leave is two weeks. So for two weeks, you can get massively reduced pay for most people. Most men won't take it. 
and and there's a a recognition i think i suppose that, that men do need that so i think there is a definite challenge for new fathers we need to look at how we support new fathers i think there's a definite challenge for fathers that don't live with their kids there's an awful lot of them fathers and mothers going through the family courts but you've asked me about fathers so fathers and i think what employers don't understand with the family courts is you may have your case listed for 10 o'clock you'd be lucky if the case is heard by three o'clock it might be an hour it might be two minutes you're never going to know and i think for employers to understand more about how the family courts work how unpredictable they are how stressful they are i think flexible working conditions and then more employers are getting better at this but understand that just because your kids are at school someone's got to take them to school someone's got to pick them up after school clubs don't go much beyond half four if you're lucky you know actually giving fathers that flexibility helps the father emotionally helps the children in raising a, a generation of healthy children and it helps the mothers as well to say actually maybe i can kick on in my career so i think <clears throat> practically there are some things employers can do that would help fathers andrew i want to talk about your new podcast <laughs> i was fortunate I, I noticed i was just the second ever guest on your uh, podcast recently you were number, which absolutely is, which is men on on show now this is about celebrating as you say amazing men and having a constructive debate around gender some of the things we talked about earlier on what makes this podcast uh, different do you feel in your your eyes to some of the others out there the purpose of the podcast i think as men we can sometimes shy away from celebrating other men because we don't know if it's almost PC to, but then you get the other extreme where they're almost, they're so kind of pro men's rights that the, what they're saying is quite misogynistic. Um, and so I wanted to find a balance, not a balance on misogyny, there's no place for that, but I wanted a voice that shares the, the insights of amazing men with amazing stories. Some of them have started walking groups for men. That's their story. For me, that's an amazing story. Some of them, like Mark Brooks, are like main national campaigners. Amazing story. And I want to share their story and I want to celebrate sort of positive masculine examples of masculinity. And I want to talk about this stuff with these amazing men while they're on the podcast. So it's, it's two halves. So I'm trying to create really positive masculine voices because for me, Andrew Tate simply fills a void and we need to fill that void so his voice becomes less influential than it is today. And that's the purpose of the podcast. Fantastic. And now, is this a podcast you, you're expecting men to listen to or men and, and women? Who's who's the audience? I well, think? the women that listen to it are giving me very good feedback. So I hope I hope it reaches out to both. I particularly hope, and I know with all these things, it takes a long time to gather momentum. The podcast may take its own personality where it evolves and becomes, and that's totally fine. But my hope is, my heart is that for a lot of the young men who are going out there looking for answers, that there's an alternative to Andrew Tate. Well, look, Andrew, as we, we come toward the end of our conversation today, what advice would you give to people about supporting the men in their lives who might be struggling with their mental health? <clears throat> You might not, a bit like the courageous neighbour who asked, pointed out his domestic abuse, you, you might not get the answer that, that you want. It's always a risk actually asking if someone's okay because they could be quite defensive. What do you mean? What's wrong with Nothing wrong with me. But actually just having that conversation um, and reaching out and, and just being patient um, is a good start. I think also knowing where to signpost people is useful. So talking to some of the guys that set up walking groups, one of them said to me, so he's the guy that does the proper blokes network, that one of their main referrers of men are the women. The women see the social media posts. 
refer their husbands, partners, loved ones to the walking groups. And so there seems to me a need for people in general to know that these things exist, that they're around, to spread the word, everything from like, I've mentioned something, Andy's Man Gang, Andy's Man Club, Men in Sheds, to know locally what's going on on the ground. So I've recruited four guys this year to our football on a Friday. Two of them have said how important it is for their well-being because they just they were looking for something. And I popped up and met them at a function, saw that they were of football age. And I'm, I'm just a terrible football flirt like this. And I was on them in a second and got them to football. And now they come in. So I think it's about connecting, about knowing where you might signpost them, knowing the person that you're speaking to, what might they connect with and, and do perhaps a bit of research. So you've already got some things that they could link up with and just don't give up on them. Just keep trying to work with them. Um, so I think there's a mixture of not giving up, having the courage, understanding that you might not get the response you want, but knowing where you could signpost them to, I think it's very important. Yeah, I think our message has come through really loud and clear. And for anyone not familiar with the Hub of Hope website, uh, mm -hmm. of course, you can put your postal code in there and uh, look at services in your postal code area. Uh, I think that's brilliant advice. Andrew, in the new National Suicide Prevention Strategy, there are some measures there targeted specifically at men. I mean, middle-aged men has always been a category of interest because of the high suicide rate. But this year, one of the new priority groups was pregnant women and new mothers. And our first reaction to that was, you know, what about new fathers? And, uh, you know, do you think there is a case for specifically focusing on pregnant women and, and new mothers on the basis that they appear to be very high suicide rates or do you think that's another example of where new new fathers should be included uh, as well i think new fathers should be included as well i think we we know it's hard to get the reporting absolutely bang on with the figures because of under reporting but i was reading something that 20 of new fathers say they're extremely depressed and of course we know that biologically when a new father if, if he's living with his partner and baby that his testosterone levels would decrease naturally biologically as the baby arrives and that has a natural impact will have a natural impact on that male so i think it's really important that the that, that men are included and i think alongside that and i think that's where my 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 heart is as well government strategy you know we have a minister for women who does a fabulous job i think her name is is it kobe badenoch fabulous job minister for women but we don't have one for men and nick fletcher the tory mp is is trying to get that campaign going and has been met with some kickback we need at government level more support for men more recognition so in order in order to answer your question yes i definitely think new fathers should be included specifically named in that strategy because we know that depression is a key issue for new fathers andrew thank you for that. i feel like i've learned a huge amount of today thank you so much for being here look as uh, regular listeners will know who tune into the show we always like to end our conversation by asking you to share a message of hope and just wondered who your message would be for and what would that message be i think for anybody given that i've talked about domestic abuse man or woman with domestic abuse don't give up if you are in an abusive situation do seek help you are not alone there are people that care and understand that although leaving is tough it's really really hard it's like drag dragging yourself through sort of a mile of slime and mud 
excuse the metaphor, but the grass really is greener. It just takes you a while to get there, but do keep going. And, you know, anybody in an abusive relationship, you are worth so much more than that. We all deserve to be with someone that loves us and respects us. So that'll be my message uh, of hope. Lovely message. Thank you, Andrew. Look, we're going to go to a break now. But before we say farewell, we know we're going to choose another one of your tracks. And this is The Show Must Go On. What's special about this song for you? When I came out of the relationship, and I was in a low point. You know, I was privileged to be at my parents, but my business had crashed at the same time. And I just felt so low. And this just kind of was a bit of a pet pick me up kind of a song come on get yourself up you've got a roof over your head you've got your mum and dad you are still seeing your daughters at least it could be a lot worse now now rebuild now it's time kind of a thing so this was a bit of a motivational song for me back then we're going to listen to uh, andrew's pep talk to himself then and uh, probably to <laughs> to uh, everyone else um and the show will go on in just a few minutes uh danny paul and myself will be back to reflect on today's conversation with andrew but for now let's listen to queen and the show must go on. You're listening to Yawa Radio, and we love to bring you details of the inspirational book of the week. This week's inspirational book of the week is Loving Life in the Middle. How to care for yourself while caring for all the family. So you're living a busy life. You're constantly judging your time between your children and work. And now your parents are starting to need more support too. Can you really make time for yourself? Well, in this book, Catherine Evans, well, she shares some great things uh, to tell you how it's not only possible, but essential to take time for your self-care. Connect with what you need to keep you at your best and recharge your batteries so you can keep on doing the amazing job of being there for others without neglecting yourself. In this book, you'll learn why you're not taking the time you need already, why you don't need to feel guilty about considering your own needs, and how to create that valuable time for yourself. There's over 100 self-care suggestions to give you inspiration, and how to keep the self-care habit going, and how to recognise when you need to increase it. Catherine's words are, well, they are gentle. They're thought-provoking as she directs you to look at your well-being bank balance and guides you to understand why self-care is essential and how to achieve it. This is not a book just to read, it is for doing. This week's inspirational book of the week is Loving Life in the Middle, How to Care for Yourself While Caring for All the Family by Catherine Evans. Welcome back, everyone. Danny, Paul, it was really interesting to hear about Andrew's experience of domestic abuse at the hands of his former wife and how he's turned his experience in many ways toward helping men in particular have more of a voice. Danny, what stood out to you from our conversation with Andrew? Andrew obviously went through a horrendous experience, but he's come out the other side. And I think what really stood out about him is that he's got a great ability to see the positive side of things. And the work he's doing now, particularly all the school talks where he's sharing his lived experience and he, he talks about sharing tips and scenarios. These are like really important things that are helping people and especially like young people that he's talking to, to recognise the signs of abusive relationships. Um, he also raised a lot of hugely important points relating to men's mental health, including sharing some of the great work being done in the community, both by himself and others. So I think it was just a really valuable conversation. 
Yeah, and I think his attitude was very philosophical about it all. He wasn't particularly blaming. I think he's, he's kind of stepped back and looked at the whole situation, really, from a really interesting place. Paul, what, what stood out for you? I think it was another one of those situations where it was just a great education for us. It reminded me of other guests we've had on the show, like Charlie Hart, you know, where these are complex issues that it's quite rare to get somebody who can explain them so simply and clearly in a way that educates us all. So Andrew talked very openly, but very informatively about the situation, about when he was in an abusive relationship and stuck in that relationship and people saying, why don't you just leave? You know, he's explaining all of that. Uh, he was very openly talking about things like his loss of libido and, you know, and the kind of things you wouldn't normally get from somebody who's actually been experiencing domestic abuse. So I, I would just urge everybody to listen to people like Andrew and Charlie and others we've had on the show and just learn from that experience and encourage other people to listen to the recordings of previous shows as well, because it is a fantastic resources library that we've got now on the uh, on the website. Thank you both uh, for that. And I think that's a really important point, you know, for anyone listening to today's show, do go back in and, and listen to the recordings, which you'll find on Jordan Space on our website. But for now, that's it for another episode of Jordan Space. My thanks to Danny and Paul and this week's guest, Andrew Payne. Thank you also for tuning in. I hope you found today's discussion interesting and insightful. And as always, if you felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicides, you can make a donation on our website, thejordanlegacy.com, or you can get in touch by emailing us at hello at thejordanlegacy.com. You can engage with us via our social media sites by following the Jordan Legacy CIC's LinkedIn company page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram using the username at Jordan Legacy UK. And you'll find us on Facebook at the Jordan Legacy. For now, from Danny, Paul and myself, we'd like to wish you a safe, healthy and above all hopeful rest of your week. And we're going to leave you with California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. This, this is, is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.co.uk. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. UK. Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio Podcast. Copyright applies. <laughs>